All right, guys, let's take a trip to Wyoming. There exists a threat from anti-hunting groups to politicians trying to give our land away, and we won't stand for it. Those vast western landscapes provide the space for our wildlife to thrive and a place for hunters and anglers to fuel the fire that sparks their soul. In this show, we share our love of hunting, fishing, and conservation. Here, we provide the foundation to meet these threats through passion and the grit of the American outdoorsman. Welcome to the Western Huntsman Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this episode of the Western Huntsman Podcast. This is Jim Huntsman, your host, coming at you from the Broken Town studio right here in Clark Fork, Idaho. And like I told you in the intro there, we're taking a little trip over to uh, Wyoming to a guy I've been uh, uh, kind of following along with on uh, or, or through... I guess for a long time, Sam. I don't. I don't know what else to say to that. How you doing, brother? <laughs> doing good. Doing good. See, so I I was thinking about it while the intro music was playing, man. I feel like when I grow up, I want to be like you, because uh, <laughs> <laughs> we, well, you've got this ranching background. You grew up with a dad that was a guide. Uh, you've been hunting your whole life. You've just got. You, you live in Sheridan, Wyoming, of all places. That's. At least it's not over in Powell, Wyoming, with the, the riffraff of uh, Eastman's, right? <laughs> yeah, we're on the good side of the mountain. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, the, the the biggest reason I agree with you, man, is because there's not a lot of grizzly bears over there. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, they got them on their side. I know. I'm telling you. I ran into them yeah. over there, and I, I'm not a big fan. So Yeah, there's a lot of them over there. So uh, Sam Davis, I, I don't know if I said your name, last name, Um out of Sheridan, Wyoming, kind of just to tell the guy or everybody listening how we got hooked up is uh, Scott Reekers over at Eastman's sent us a text and introduced us and and uh, I've heard you I heard you on Aaron's on Snyder's podcast. Uh, God, I, again, I I can't believe it was that long ago. I was thinking it was like a month or two ago, but it was last summer, huh? <laughs> it was last summer. Yeah, I don't know when he released it. Yeah, it it was recorded last summer and yeah, it came out probably late last summer, early last fall. It came out. I missed something right in there sometime. Yeah. Well, tell me a little bit about growing up in uh, in Wyoming with uh, with a dad that was a hunting guide. Yeah, like I guess I always tell everybody. Everybody, you know, if I get any questions or people always ask me about bow hunting or how I've got to chase so many critters and this and that for being I'm only 38 years old. I guess a middle aged guy now is I just I grew up. I was fortunate where I grew up, and meaning that as growing up in Wyoming, I was fortunate to have a lot of opportunity, a lot of tags from deer, antelope, elk cow elk multiple white tail tags you know and with that dad was a guide my whole life my dad was a fireman and retired from he had the fire department schedule so with that he was also a guide and then he retired from the fire department and was a guide and continued guiding so with that i i, I knew nothing but hunting like I, I talked to my wife and i always joke um that i've every october my whole life has been guiding it's bow hunting in september for myself and then it's been guiding and Growing up like that, then I got a, had a guy's license. I was licensed in Montana and Wyoming since I've been 18. So I think 20 or 21 seasons now I've been a guide in both states. And yeah, I guess I, yeah, I've just grown up hunting and I didn't know any other any other thing. I, uh, so my learning curve was 
was uh, really short, I guess. I guess it was a short learning curve because I, I didn't know anything else. Like when other kids were, I definitely played high school sports, but um, I can remember getting out of my mom picking me up after a game, have this special written note to give to the coach and hopping in a pickup and getting dropped off on the mountain. And she'd continue on. Like if we played in Cody, Wyoming football on Friday nights. And then I had my pickup. There was multiple times where it was loaded back in the day. You know, I graduated in the early 2000s, early 2000. And I'd have my pickup loaded with my bow and all my hunting stuff and literally get off the high school bus from football, wherever we played that night. And head straight up the mountain and not even go home and then not get home until Sunday night. So that's yeah. just uh, knew, that's just been I, how I grew up. I knew I was going to like you. I, <laughs> I knew I was going to like you. I, I did something similar, so that's that's pretty fantastic. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. It's, it's it's just I, like I say right back to it. I was just fortunate um, for the life that I love to live and what I like to do. I, I don't I don't know any difference. So I, that's right. So I'm just fortunate the way I grew up and where I grew up to, to have those. Uh, capabilities right right here in my back door out my back door so yeah did you grow up in sheridan yeah i'm born and raised this is my hometown and what kind of drive is it i know it might bore the audience but how how far is it from sheridan to cody when you had like those football games uh it's 150 miles but it's over the mountains so it's about a three-hour drive in a bus and sometimes the bus we couldn't go over the mountains so we'd go up to billings montana drive up to billings montana and then head south to cody so it'd make it like a five-hour trip going oh, that geez. way because you couldn't go over the mountains yeah that's what i was wondering because you got the bighorns there kind of separating the two uh-huh. and um th- yeah no that's that's cool man uh, i mean as anybody anybody knows out in the west if i don't know in wyoming i mean I can think of games we traveled six. It was six hour bus ride to get to places, but I think that's you get out in the west and towns are a lot further apart, especially to get to all the four A schools. I mean, it was four, yeah. five, six, six hour road trips to go play football games just for a Friday night and then be home late, late at night and head up the mountain to go hunting. Yeah, it might you might not get home till two in the morning, one in the morning, but then I'd head straight up the mountain. So yeah, that that's so true too, man. Um, I, I lived out back east when I was when I was in the military, and it was crazy because it was it seemed like every ten or fifteen minutes you'd be in another town, you know. <laughs> yeah. And um, but there is something different, even even further than just generally talking about the West when you're talking about Wyoming and Montana. Like it just seems like everything is further, and it takes longer to get there, you know. And and uh, <laughs> I don't know how many how many hours of my life I spent in a pickup, you know, in Montana or Wyoming, thinking where in the f did this town go? Like I I thought it was like seventy miles, and <laughs> yeah, I that's hear what's you. great about it. So, yeah, don't tell anybody. <laughs> so just so we're we're preventing any out of staters, how terrible is it in Sheridan? right now well it's uh i'd say it's been snow snow and more snow and i we've got still my saw where everybody else is starting to look for horns and stuff and i bet there's right here sitting in sharon there's got to be 20 inches of snow sitting on the level i mean it's two strands up the barbed wire fence still mm-hmm. and uh the drifts are still four and five foot deep everywhere so and it was 15 below zero just a couple of days ago. So, oh, yeah, it's still – winter's still holding its grip really, really tightly here. And you got all those polar bears coming into town, taking all the, yeah. you know, people. So Exactly. It's horrible. So just, <laughs> just, it's just a forewarning. You know, if you're in California, <laughs> don't go to Wyoming, folks. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, go to Idaho. 
<laughs> no, no, wait a minute. We were teaming up. We got there. We're tag teaming, man. They have to go to Montana. Bozeman is go gorgeous. To Bozeman. <laughs> go to Bozeman. <laughs> I think they still have a little room there. <laughs> yeah, they do. They do. Oh, <laughs> out towards three, three Forks and Ennis. There's a lot of there cool country go. out that way. There you go. Man, we're yeah. gonna get, we're, we are going to get some hate mail. Sorry, 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 Brian Barney <laughs> and Ryan Lampers. That's where those guys live. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Sorry, not sorry, no. folks. But... There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm super curious what when I I was kind of reading your your biography. Um, why do you are you strictly a bow hunter? What what's your draw with strictly being a bow hunter? Because it seems like you're you're pretty strict about it. Yeah. Um. I you know I I. I I don't know what it is. It's just, it's what draws me to it. Um, there's no reason. There's no rhyme or reason. Um, it's every time I look at something, when I'm thinking of a stock, anytime I'm glassing anything, when I'm shed hunting, when I'm just taking my family out, we're driving and looking at animals. I'm always looking at like, where's 40 yards or how could I approach that critter? Like that's, that's just, I look at things as a bow hunter. I've just never, man, it's been a long time. 2006 was the last time I pulled the trigger out on rifle on anything except for coyotes. Yeah. Um, when it comes to, to big game critters, coyotes last time I pulled the trigger. Yeah, exactly. I would shoot a wolf with a rifle if I, if I was doing that thing. But, um, 2006, I shot a bull elk. Um, I'd been bow, I've been bow hunting strictly bow hunting except for that one elk since 2000. Um, so going on 23, 24 seasons, I guess this will be my 23rd season. Um, but I did kill an elk in 06. I just, it's something that uh, it just gets my heart going. There's nothing mm-hmm. to me better than coming to – when I get to full draw and then I guess when I see that arrow hit something, when I hear that arrow hit something, that's that's a feeling that is like none other to me. And I like the I like the tightness, the bond, the things that I've seen bow hunting, the things I've seen an animal do when I've been in tight is uh, – it's unexplainable. I mean it's explainable, but the feeling is unexplainable to people. Mm-hmm. I mean like – what I've, what I've watched the deer's ears do, what his jaws doing when I'm standing, you know, eight or 10 yards away when it's in its bed for an hour waiting for it to give me a shot or what I've seen herd elk do when I'm crawling in their beds with some trying to get within bow range or waiting for a bull to present a shot. I mean, when you hear elk cough and yeah. you can hear, literally hear them chewing their cud and then they'll kind of like cough up on it and stuff like I don't think rifle hunting gives you, I'm not saying it's nothing against rifle hunting. I grew up, my dad's a rifle hunter. Um, I guide rifle hunters. It's all I guide is rifle hunters. Um, I'm around it a lot. I'm very mm-hmm. familiar with rifle hunting. It's just the challenge for me is bow hunting. And I just, I love the intimacy with chasing critters with a bow. There's, there's nothing that tops it for me. Yeah. I, the thing that I always think about with it is because Sam, I do both. I'll, I'll do, and I'll, I'd even do all three. I actually, two years ago, I bought a muzzleloader and I still haven't actually shot it at an animal. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I, and I, because I do like to experience all aspects and phases, which you do anyway, cause you're a guide and have been for a long time. But for me personally, I'm not a guide. So I do like to experience all of it. And honestly, I, I enjoy rifle hunting. It's there's, yeah. it's a different experience, but I will say that, my bow hunts are the hunts that I'm most proudest of. Uh, they, they're the hunts where I get the most thrill. I feel like the, the skill it takes to be a consistent, successful bow hunter is wildly different, if not 
higher in magnitude than it than it is with a rifle. And and again, I'm I, I I'm always treading lightly with this because I don't want anybody to like take it wrong. I I go rifle hunting <laughs> like a yeah. lot. I, I and uh-huh. so and in fact, generally, um, I enjoy deer hunting with a rifle unless it's whitetail. Uh, so, anyways, I don't need to overly explain that, but there is something yeah. that there's like this order of magnitude of greatness when it comes to bow hunting that is magnified from the sense of the sensation you get when that arrow hits your target, from the sense of that feeling of accomplishment, that intimacy with nature and with the animal. Uh, you just are like more tuned in and connected. I don't know it, if I'm explaining it right. Yeah, Do like you, I'd say you, you've hit on everything that I would say. Yeah, 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 for sure. And and again, anybody listening, like I'm not I'm not uh, picking on or throwing rocks at rifle hunters. I do it every year. Um, I one of the bears I killed last year was with a rifle. Well, one of the one of the deer I killed last year was with a rifle. But the uh, I, I don't know. Just bow hunting is there's something special. There's something primal about. It. I think that's part of what feeds into and makes people obsessed with bow hunting. Is is it's so primal and I've. I, I I don't know if you've ever. I was talking to uh, this guy in Hawaii who's who's a bow hunter and and well he does all sorts of different hunting but uh, Wild Kitzel he was on last month I think okay and I was telling the story of how I I was bow hunting mule deer in central Utah over this draw where I found this arrowhead that's thousands of years old and what I'm thinking is some dude was there hunting. Uh, thousands of years ago, that same drop because he knew about mule deer, right? And so that how cool is that? Isn't that awesome, man? Like, <laughs> yeah, I, just, I yeah. love that story, and I think that that just exemplifies what, how, what, and why, and how people feel when they are bow hunting because it's so primal, it's so personal. I don't know. Yeah. What am I missing? Yeah. What am I missing? You know, I think. uh I, I think it's just it, it takes a little more and just like you just said nothing against rifle hunting i mean especially there, there's there's so much that you can you can deep dive into rifles you can deep dive into mm-hmm. bows you can you can super tune a bow you can get as crazy wacko on guns and fancy scopes and loads oh, yeah totally arrow building everything either way for me it's uh it, it's it really just comes down to the intimacy like you you'd said and like i'd said earlier but um I think too, just the, the challenge. It is a little more challenging. I mean, I I would argue that one. I think I would argue um, the the season dates are usually the, the challenging thing about rifle season, right? You know, you got your Montana. I think about your, your later elk seasons. Those bulls have pulled off now. Now you're looking for if you're looking for a big mature bull. Now he's pulled off into a hellhole avalanche slide where he's tucked up on a ridge away from all the other animals he's probably above some nasty snow line across some big gnarly canyon so now it's it's not saying that they aren't there during archery season but they aren't running around screaming telling you where they're at um mm-hmm. so there there are all of your differences and your challenges for me it's just like the consistency to kill something with a bow and to do it year after year which i love to do that drives me that the I think the challenge to me is that, and I love the challenge. I grew up competing in every sport and this is now taken over my high school wrestling, my high school football. Like this is bow hunting is just what I do. It's something I look forward to all year. I work towards it all year. It's quiet too. Yeah. Bow hunting is quiet. quiet. And for me, I can go out and I can shoot three arrows. I can shoot a hundred arrows and it's all quiet. 
It doesn't cost any more money. It's not, I'm not sending powdered and lead down range. Like mm-hmm. for me, that's just, uh, it, it that's one thing with the bow that I can, it's kind of almost, uh, not yoga, but it's like, it's like some sort of mind thing where I can just go out and chill out and shoot my bow and it relaxes the heck out of me. It's a little meditation, I guess. Yeah. Well, it doesn't cost you money because you're hitting what you're shooting at where like, <laughs> I, a dude like me, my arrows go saucing off into the brush somewhere and I, I find them like two years later, you know, <laughs> but you know, and, and I guess not in defense of rifle hunting, but one thing that I will acknowledge with rifle hunters, you know, I've got buddies like my buddy, Roger Holscher, he's been on the show. The dude uh-huh. is, the dude is like sniper level kind of marksman, you know, and, and uh-huh. he's able to reach out just like the old AT&T slogan. He's able to reach out and touch him. Right. Uh, uh-huh. And that that's a whole other level that I like. I don't have yep. that skill. I don't have that skill. But um, I want to get back to something you said when you're out like shed hunting or you're you're just out and about and you're always kind of forty yard ranging things. Yeah. Can you expand on that? Because I I, I kind of got the sense that you do that because you're trying to perfect the way you field judge yardage. Is that oh, yeah. is that what you're talking about or? Well, like, oh no, what I'm saying, like, I guess what I'm saying is, like, just, just glassing. Summer driving down a highway, and you stop and you see a herd of elk up on the ridge, or you see a buck deer on the ridge. Anytime I'm out there with my, like, my little girl or my wife, and we're glass and stuff, I'm always like, I always am like, where would you stop? I always, you hear my wife and you see, she gets sick of hearing me, like, going, how would you put a stock on that, or where do, where do you get to? How, how would you get on them? And I think that's the thing that I'm always looking at. Are they stockable position? My mind is just always thinking that is uh how would you stock up on whatever we're, we happen to be looking at so that's when i say bow hunting is just something i'm always constantly thinking about it's uh it even like just literally just glassing animals i'm always looking at the terrain they're in what i would do if i was stalking on them at that moment where's 40 yard what does 40 yards look like if if i was up there what tree bush cut how would i get to 40 yards from that animal i guess that's what i'm getting at i that's what I, that's what a breakdown of how I'm always thinking about things when when I'm looking at stuff. So, do you do this thing? I do this thing where because I'm always paranoid that I'm going to get into a situation, specifically when I'm calling an elk, and not have your range finder. Uh, yes, or or I drop it, or the batteries go out, or I've had them where the elk, you know, that bull sometimes will just come in way faster than you think, and you know uh-huh. you're you're closing the distance and and you get in there and all of a sudden. Dang that, he's right there. I mean, he's right there. You can't, you can't pull out your, uh, your, your rangefinder. So I'm, I'm always paranoid about that. So I walk around, like I'll start doing this when I'm uh, in the spring here. Do you guys have morel mushroom hunting in, like Sheridan, Wyoming? Oh yeah, there's morel. There's morels. Uh, you do around, have morels. Okay. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. So you'll yes. know what I'm talking about. So if anybody that doesn't know, uh, like you, you folks down in Texas, actually they might have morels too. I, don't, I have no idea. I just like to pick on Texas sometimes. Um. <laughs> what you know we we go out foraging in the in the spring for for these morel mushrooms and and it's it's a really good wild mushroom um and we uh-huh. have we have like north idaho is uh, like the mecca of morel mushrooms in my opinion so because well, they take a lot of moisture being a mushroom yes. fungus they take a lot of moisture yes yeah, so you guys yeah. are like in a rainforest there right you nailed it well <laughs> it's it's not there is a section of the panhandle of idaho here where they classify it somebody and i don't know maybe it's, it was just some drunk bastard in a bar that told me this <laughs> i don't know but somebody told me it was classified as a rainforest up by priest lake idaho which is like an oh, hour, really? hour from me so but regardless it's it's super wet super moist here um 
And so we get a ton of morels. So getting back to this range thing, I'm, I'm so paranoid. Like I'll be out morel hunting and I just have my range finder and I'm, I'll look at like a, a, a tree stump and I'll be like, okay, uh, 36 yards. And it's like this game I play. And then I'll pull the range finder up and range it and see how close I am. And I, I feel like that's made me really good at field judging yardage. Do you do something similar to that? Or do you have any other advice you can give, you know, new bow hunters that because it's so critical knowing that range, what do you tell people? All the time. Yeah, that's exactly what I do too. Walking through the trees, even when I'm hunting, like when I'm elk hunting, mm-hmm. rolling through the trees and stuff. I think because I definitely am always looking at logs and stumps, 27, 36, double check myself, 38, have my range finder right there. Um, and 3D shoots. If you go to 3D shoots, nowadays, everybody gets to the pin. They read the yardage, whether it's written on the pin. When you stand up there to shoot, the pin is what you put your foot on, I guess, for people that are new to archery shoots. Um, or people, the first thing they do is they grab the rangefinder and range it. The first thing I do when I get to an archery shoot or when I'm at an archery shoot is I walk up to the target. I try to field judge. I try to judge it without using any rangefinder or anything. Because like when I was a kid growing up shooting 3Ds, you weren't allowed. To, it was always no rangefinders. You had to have eight power binoculars because people that were really good, could t- they could literally figure out how to figure out ranges with their 10 power binoculars. I think the way the focus lined up. Oh, really? Um, so, yeah. So, like for IBO shoots and stuff, you could only have – I don't know how it is nowadays. I'm, I'm just not up to date on comp- big-time competitions. But, they, yeah, you, got, you had a limit on eight power binoculars. But, yeah, so that's a huge thing is when you get to an archer shoot, don't be – don't use it as like a, a pacifier. Don't use that range as a pacifier. Like get up, look at your target break it in the half so say you see the target out there what's halfway halfway looks like it's about 20 21 yards okay split it so it looks like 42 and then when i look at 42 and think about it again then i do 10 yard increments like 10 20 30 40 to that closest tree looks like he's about four yards past that tree instead of about two yards past the tree so i'm gonna say 44 then shoot it if not use your range finder if it's competition you're there with your buddies and you want to win then hit it with your range finder but that's a big yeah. thing that I do is like 3D shoots. I always pull out my range. Don't pull out my range finder first. I like to judge the yardage and go from there. But yeah, just like you're saying, like stump shooting, just walking through the trees, morel hunting, whatever, shed hunting. Yeah, for sure. You're always guessing yardages and double checking them when I have my range finder with me. What do you think the biggest mistake archery hunters make? Because I, I'm big on the range thing and maybe, maybe I'm off base, but like, you're way better at this than I am, dude. So what do you think like the, the, the biggest mistake archery hunters make, whether they're expert level starting out, what, whatever, um, when it comes to shooting a bow at a wild, you know, at, at a game species, gosh, I'm <laughs> getting tongue tied. Yeah. <laughs> you know, shooting the bow at a target, <laughs> not taking their time. Okay. Not going to ask very that. simple. So you come to full to the like just to see a bull elk because you were just talking about bull coming in, bull screaming. Everybody, I don't care. Cam Haynes' adrenaline comes up when a bull elk's coming. He's killed a pile of them. Chuck Adams has killed a pile of them. But I yeah. guarantee you, their heart rate spikes. Right? Mm-hmm. There's nobody they can be. You can be a stone cold killer, but your your heart rate's still gonna spike. The thing is that bull's coming in. He's screaming. You've waited all summer for this. You've shot every day. You've got everything super tuned. This bull comes in. He comes past the last tree you range. Is at 30 yards. You get to full draw. I don't think the mistake is full draw. I think enough people get to full draw, but I, I hear a lot of stuff. There's two things I'm going to say. The biggest mistakes I think people make, <laughs> and I don't want to come across as, as a butthead saying this. Or, one thing is, is, is 
it's all kind of in one thing. It's rushing the shot. You always have more time than you think you do. Um, that being said, there's shot angles that people might rush a shot on and they take a poor shot angle thinking it's the only and last opportunity they're going to have. And the other part of that same answer being we rush a shot is getting either on a thumb release, on a trigger punch or back tension, however you do it, is jamming that trigger or punching your thumb. Like, um, know that you have a couple, like a second and a half to think about that second half and take that one last breath out before you pull that trigger. Um, so that's, it's, I know it's kind of two things in one, but it's, it's no. rushing the shot in meaning that there's a lot. And I hate to say it. I'm a, I'm a, I've watched hunting shows my whole entire life growing up. I probably have, I would contend to say I probably have more hunting DVDs than a lot of people. I would say probably have almost 300 of them because I grew up watching every single hunting DVD and then YouTube came out and I still to this, like I was just watching, I was just watching now destination elk or something before you got a hold of me. And I, I just, I really, really watch to see how everybody does it. And there are some great ones out there. There are some really good, awesome footage out there, but I'm seeing a lot of uh, poor shot angles too nowadays. And it seems like it's more prevalent and maybe I'm just, I've always watched it, but what, it just what do seems you mean, like, what do you mean? Like the poor uh, shot angles? Hard quartering to um ah yeah yeah I, I hard quartering two angles not straight on shots I mean mm-hmm. straight on shots are straight on shots we could argue for this for days people go on and off and it is what it is whatever people think about a straight on shot but it's the quartering twos the shoulder back the long distance when an elk's at alert or a deer's at alertness like there's a lot more to making a shot go off and knowing your distance and knowing the animal's behavior. Like, I'm not saying that you can't have a bull elk drinking water or a whitetail drinking water. And if they hear that bow go off, that they're not going to duck the string and get out of the way. What I'm talking about is when someone has a bull out there at, let's say, 65 yards, he's slightly quartering two. You cow call to stop him at a long distance. So now he's alert. He's high-headed. He might have a slight shoulder in the way, and you still cut an arrow loose. Like, those are all all bad things that could happen. Like there's not a lot of good that's going to come into that unless you cut that arrow loose. And for some reason he spooks to roll away and you catch him behind the rib as he's gone because he's spinning out of the way your arrow and you happen to get lucky and catch him as he's going away from it. But Mm -hmm. I guess that's the biggest thing is you have more time than you think and it's not worth it to wound an animal. So when you get to full draw, that will go back to the situation I explained. You got that bull coming in. He's 30 yards. He's came past that tree that you range at 30 yards. You get to full draw. You're at your anchor. He comes through one opening. He's getting to that second open. Just have patience and breathe with it. Or he stops for just a second and his vitals are covered. Just have patience. Don't try and rush the shot and hit him in the guts. Don't try and pull it up forward. Hit him in the, like, the neck. Yeah. Like just, just wait it out. And the worst case scenario, he's going to turn. You'll have to go find another one. But I guess that's my biggest thing is like, or if you get to full draw and you stop one, take that breath, then pull the trigger. I mean, it's literally like a, it's a second and a half more that you took that breath and you're going to be able to get that trigger off instead of just stop and whack, hit that trigger as hard as you can because that's, that's a lot of bad stuff happens there. That's, that's crazy. You say that, man, I'm going to keep that line in, in my head. I'm going to keep the, you said you have more time than you think. You like have that, more time you think. that yeah. needs to be something that I just kind of tell myself in the moment because uh, I'll give you a great example. La- last season, last September, uh, 
um, that I was, I had this great interaction with this bull. He's, he's super spunky, super fired up, you know, um, and he's, he's coming in and he was in some super dark timber, which explains why he didn't see me kind of slip in out of the brush into the dark timber. Um, it was just dark enough where I know he saw me moving, but he couldn't identify what I was. Right. And yeah. cause I didn't know he was there. So, so I bugle again and all of a sudden he starts coming. He's like 80 yards at that point, starts coming in towards me and I'm getting so fired up. I have all this on, uh, on camera too, by the way, Sam, oh, really? and I haven't <laughs> posted the full footage of it because I'm worried I will get crucified online. Right. <laughs> and so, so this sucker comes in. And, and I'm just beside myself excited because I had just passed on a smaller bull because I heard this one bugling and I don't pass on bulls normally. That, that is, <laughs> I, it is, if, I mean, I am just not picky. I don't care what anybody says. If it's got antlers, that sucker's going down. So anyway, <laughs> this bull, he, he's coming in and I get him, he's, he's 25 yards or so and I'm drawn back. And if I would have been telling myself, you have more time than you think, you have more time than you think. I kind of, and it's not, I don't often panic like this, but I, for uh -huh. some reason, I was slightly panicked about losing this bull. And I think it's because I'd been working on for, you know, three hours at this point. Yeah. And, and he, he gives me a, a really good shot, except there were these little branches in the way. And if I would have just had the, you have more time than you think in my head, he would have taken two more steps and I could have stopped him there and he would have been wide open, but I didn't notice the branches and I released that arrow oh. and this little pencil sized branch deflected my arrow right over his back. And it is painful to watch like that. The cringe worthy <laughs> when you watch it, it's like, dude, you, how did you not see that? Uh, and so uh i've been i've been pretty bent out of shape about that one um and so is there is there a way or do you have advice because again i always i always look to guides are on a whole different level than just <laughs> like a regular hunter right because you 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 go out and you make your own mistakes and you correct those mistakes and you, you see your success, but then you go out with another hunter and these hunters can be brand new hunters or they could be people with 40 years of experience. Either way, you're monitoring every little thing that they're doing right or wrong. And so that's why I always look to guides that they tend to have a much easier way of explaining what mistakes are made because you see so many. So um, getting back to that, how how do you slow yourself down? How do you give yourself the thought process of you you have more time? How do you you know clear your head enough to know okay there there's a, a couple of little branches in the way you're going to deflect your arrow? Does it make sense what I'm even asking you here? Yeah, no, totally. No, you literally got to like well, so you guide. That's a perfect example. I think that I haven't even really thought of, but I when I go to my guiding is the first number one rule that I always have is like so like you're guiding say I'm, I like, I have a father son and I have the son. Well, the dad is always super excited to get their son an elk, deer, antelope, whatever we're hunting. Yeah. And so the biggest rule I always have is I have to, as a guide, I have to stay super calm because if you get excited, your hunter gets more excited and they're not as most of the time, if you're guiding them, they're not as experienced as I am. I'm not saying I'm perfect, but I've been on a lot of kills. And so the first thing I do is don't get them excited. Don't get excited myself. No matter like last year, I, I was able to, I guided a heck of a mule deer buck and this guy had never shot a mule deer that I was guiding. And 
we got in on this buck. He was bedded down, but it was a heck of a stock. Even with a rifle, it was a, it was a tough stock. Really? And we were in full. Yeah, it was. And it was a it was a giant. It ended up going like well over two hundred. Do you ever, and, do you ever uh, film? Do you ever film your guided hunts? I don't. Oh, okay. I don't film anything. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. um, and and the biggest thing is is like don't get excited, and then it goes right back. Even with rifle hunting, don't rush the shot. But I guess thinking of that is just don't get excited because you'll get your hunter wound up so going back to my own hunts is i'm always thinking about like that like okay so there's a branch in my way scenario or i gotta wait till he gets over that tree scenario or he just like a buck a mule deer just stood up don't like so i think there's another this is a whole nother stock scenario but you're sneaking on a mule deer buck he you know he's like 35 yards You've ranged it two or three times. Don't range it anymore. It's not like he's bedded. He's been in the same bed. You see a lot of guys. I've watched a lot of videos over the years. A lot of that Eastern Colorado stuff where they're sneaking up on bedded mule deer out in that like Milo fields and wheat Mm -hmm. fields and stuff. And they just keep pulling that range finder up, keep pulling that range finder up. And the fourth time they pull the range finder up, they don't have the release clicked on the string. The buck stands up and is looking at them. And now they got their range finder in their hand. And it's like, man, you've been there for two hours. You know the distance. Like, don't do that again. But you get there and you watch that deer and he's he's you've got the range you're in position you're clicked on your string the buck stands up not knowing you're there don't draw back right away think about it you got time he still has no idea you're there all he's doing is getting up now he's stretching now he's gonna bend his head over they always kind of look back by their groin they lift their hind leg kind of maybe itch back there maybe he does the other side wait for him to do something like that they're gonna stand up first stretch they'll probably pee like there's numerous things that I'm always watching these critters do. Let them do something like that naturally. Let their eyes, if you can see their eyes, they can see you. So like knowing and thinking all that stuff calms me down also, if that makes any sense. Like as I'm literally thinking those processes out loud in my head, a bull elk coming through the timber or sneaking up on a bull elk when he's around his cows, wait for him to bugle before you come to full drop. He's in the wide open. I've drawn on tons of bulls and I've killed quite a few either when they're right in the middle of a bugle or when they're just finishing their bugle because I was able to draw back while they had their head tipped back and bugling. They were doing something else to just take the distraction mm-hmm. off of me for me to get to full draw or me to settle my pin, maybe shift my hips just a little bit to get around that tree. Or, but all those things I'm thinking about out loud and it seems to calm me down because I'm thinking about my job, what I'm there to do and how I'm not, not going, oh my God, he's standing up. Oh my God, he's bugling. Oh my God, it's a big bull. Uh, like instead of thinking about that stuff and getting wound up, it's like, what do I need to do to accomplish what I'm here for? Like I'm here to kill this animal, not to get googly eyed over his size of his antlers or how yeah. close he is or no, yeah. it's like when he stands up, all right, I can see that gray spot behind his shoulder that's really exposed. He's still kind of looking around. All right, he's just starting to put his head down. He put his head down on that full draw, get to my anchor. Don't even think about anchor and stuff. Like that should be second nature. Like you shouldn't even have to think about your anchor point, none of that. It's I know he's 28 yards. I'm gonna put my 30 pin right at the bottom of his heart, right top of his heart, and I'm gonna crack this shot loose. Like God, that's kind of how fantastic. I think of things. Dude, you're a wealth of information. I love it. I love it, Sam. Uh, oh, I, I I started doing this thing, uh, and I'd like to get your take on it. I started doing real this. Quick, real, real oh, quick, real quick. Oh, go ahead. Before you lose that train of thought, I want to preface all the shot scenarios, and I want to preface all that by saying that I've made, I started bow hunting when I was 15 years old, and I that's all of you ask me how long I've been bow hunting and why bow hunting. That's all I've done since I was 15. So I have made 
so many mistakes. I've taken poor shot angles when I was younger. I've learned the hard way. Yeah. I don't want this to come across as like, I've done everything perfect. I haven't. I've wounded a couple of critters. I've lost a couple of critters. I hit some high shoulders on a couple of bull elk over the last 23 years. Like, I have had some stuff happen like that. So, I guess this is more knowledge to help people out for the future rather than this is more of like, hey, I did it and it doesn't work. So, don't try it kind of things, I guess. So, I just wanted to preface by saying that, that I definitely have screwed up and made mistakes too. So, I, I hope I hope that comes across well, yeah, I, I guess. I think, I think you know, it's, it's easy for a listener to when, when, and it doesn't matter if it's my podcast or somebody else's podcast. You know, you can always tell if there's like a humble nature about a person, and and I can de- I'm definitely getting that from you. You're you're ex- just extremely good at this. You're very good at this. You're skilled. You've practiced. You guide. You do all these things. You spend a lot of time doing this, so you're good at it. That doesn't mean that uh, you're like some egomaniac because you you do see some of those folks out there that like they've killed one elk in their life and they they think that they're the shit. You know. Um, and so I, 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 I don't want to come across as that. So no, I just, you, I just want to preface by saying that you don't. And I'm, I feel like I'm sometimes hypersensitive to that, uh, that like, you know, over bloated ego out of somebody. And so I'd, I'd pick up on it. And if you were, I'd tell you while we were recording, I'd, I'd, <laughs> I'd text you. I'd be like, dude, no, I wouldn't. But, um, I was going to ask you, uh, I have, I, I've been doing this thing the last couple of years where I make it a point to not even, try to field judge the score of an animal or count points or try to look at the base of the antler you know i i don't even look at that i it's like that's in my um not in my peripheral focus or what what, what is that called there's there's like a word for that you know how when you're um you sight alignment sight picture if you're if you're looking through a scope or, or looking through an iron sight you want to focus on the sight and and you know the 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 target is just kind of the background Yes. So I kind of do that with it when it comes to the antlers, and that's enough to tell me whether or not I feel like it's a shooter for me. Uh, okay. Which, by the way, for an elk, it, it, all that has to be is a spike. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm way more picky with deer, but uh-huh. I don't even I don't count points. I don't try to score. Now that would change if I was stalking on a bedded buck. Uh, and, and I could see the buck laying there and I can really get a good, you know, look through my glass or something. Obviously that's, that's going to be different, but I'm talking mainly, I, I always kind of look at, you know, when I'm calling a bull elk, I used to get distracted by looking at the rack and be like, okay, uh-huh. one, two, three, four, five, where well, I don't see six, you know, kind of thing. Not that I uh-huh. wouldn't shoot it if it didn't have six, but you know, you're always kind of hoping, but I, I found that that was really distracting for me. And so now I'll count points and field field score, you know, judge whatever after the animal's down. Am I off base with that, or what? What do you think about that? No, I think it's teach their own. Like if that helps you, because like for me, it's I I I'll tell you like for me, um, I'm not judging you. I think that works. If that's your system, I think go with it. Like I get it. Um, yeah, that yeah. totally that and then that that takes away one less distraction, just like we were talking about. Um, it's one less thing you have to think about if you're worried about thinking that. Um, for me, it's like if it's a six point bull, I'm probably going to shoot him. Like that's kind of how it is. There's a couple of years where I've held out for some nicer bulls, or I kind of have like a standard. Like, man, I'd really like to do better than this, but. Um, no, it's like, for me, it's just, I want a big, mature, <laughs> big, yeah. mature mule deer 
or a big mature bull elk. Like that's kind of it. I'm just looking for a herd bull and I'm looking for a buck that's belly's trying to drag on the ground. He's got to sway back. Like that's, uh, that's the, my, my only two criteria. And if I can hit those two, then I've capitalized on what I've, my, what I set my goal and what I was out there to achieve. So heck yeah, man. I yeah. love it. Uh, yeah, no, that's, that's definitely my, cause I'll, I will get flat out distracted if it's a big buck, especially a mule deer. Uh, yeah. like I, I just mule deer do it for me. I get so oh, me too. excited. I, and, and I'm with you. like, <laughs> I love whitetail hunting. Don't get me wrong, but there is just something majestic and special about a mule deer. And if I, if I focus on how many points it is or how wide I think the rack is or Man, I will lose it, and I'll totally miss. So, um, <laughs> can we talk about bears for a minute? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not the most knowledgeable guy. I've hunted them quite a bit, but I'm, I'm not the best at bears. I've, I've killed a few, but well, yeah, mostly what what I'm curious about. Do you first of all do you guide for bears in Wyoming or no? I don't guide for bears. I'm literally okay. deer, antelope, and elk is all I guide. Deer, for. antelope, and elk. And um, what kind of discount do I get for a good <laughs> antelope hunt if I come over and see you? <laughs> you have to be guided. There's enough. Actually, with this winter, <laughs> antelope are going to be, I guarantee you, non residents are going to be seeing a difference in how many tags are allocated by the Wyoming Game Fish. Oh, this one yeah, I heard about one. that. Yeah, this one's been a tough one, but yeah. no, I yeah. could line you up some. You know, the, you know the boys in Powell, they should have some antelope areas lined up for you. You know, I keep asking Reekers, and, and he keeps sending me to, like, Montana or something. I, he, like, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. He doesn't. But <laughs> that's, a, that's the one uh, bummer about North Idaho is we, we don't have pronghorn. You know, there's no antelope up here. Oh, yeah. And yeah, so, you got to go a little ways. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's it's doable. It's just always timing. You know, I spend so much time during spring bear, and then I spend so much time in September through November uh, that it is hard for me to break away in August to go pronghorn hunt in Idaho. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, that's why, but, uh, the bear question that I have for you is, uh, when we're talking archery, there has been the last couple of years, I, I've been noticing there's like this debate as to arrow placement on a broadside bear. Mm-hmm. And I have seen, so I, and I'll just, uh, like center, center, like everybody's saying mm-hmm. center, there's, center. There's some the people that are center, center, but then, um, you know, I'm, I'm linked up with, with Eastman's right. And mm-hmm. they posted on, on my Instagram and I encourage people to go watch it because it's, it's a cool scenario and, and I'm not a big fan of posting kill shots, but this one makes sense because it's very educational. Uh, and, and, and so Dan Picard is, is hunting right and and he uh launches this arrow and it goes right into the shoulder that bear's dead within i don't know 30 yards and so i i'm just curious like you uh as a bow hunter you've got all this experience um do you have a do you have a i don't know a thought an opinion on on arrow placement when it comes to a bear you know i've only killed three bears in my bow um I've always, for me, it's just behind the shoulder and I'm not, I wouldn't say that I'm tight to the shoulder. I'd say I just, I'm right behind the crease, just like I would aim on a bull elk or a buck deer. Um, the one thing I have learned with bears is I undershot a bear last year and I went right to the corner. He was standing on all fours. I went right to the corner of where I say corner. I went right to the point of his elbow and I just slid my pin in just so he was facing right, went to his elbow 
slid it just to the left of his elbow about three inches and I shot and I watched that arrow disappear right into him, but it didn't sound solid. Coming to find out I killed that bear, I want to say eight or nine days later, I killed that same boar and he had a cut right across his brisket. I'd hit him low and I, I obviously I watched him after I shot him, the first shot at him the first time, I watched him go up this canyon and I paralleled him with this canyon for well over a half mile, but I could see him going up the head of this. He spooked him pretty bad. I watched him go up the head of that canyon for probably 1,100, 1,200 yards when I lost sight of him. He wasn't wounded at all. I mean, I, I was like, man, what did I do? Come to find out, I got down there was a big old pile of black hair, but his hair was so long hanging off the bottom of his chest. I thought I was up into the body cavity and I just took a big old chomp of hair and barely grazed yeah. his brisket. Yeah, and it was really neat that I ended up killing him oh, eight days later or whatever, 10 mm-hmm. days later, because first thing I did when I got to that bear, I rolled him over and sure enough, he had a big cut right across his brisket. And I was like, <laughs> how awesome is that? Yeah, but, that's way cool, man. You give him a little haircut yeah. just to let him know you're coming back. And, and oh, uh, sure yeah. enough, and he was, there you go. He was like my dream bear. He was the biggest bear I've ever killed. So it was cool <laughs> to see him and then have it all come together like that. But I shot him middle, middle. Um, it was mm-hmm. the window that I had. He, uh, he was on a, on a washout trail kind of thing. He was, I was across the Canyon from him. He was, had a sow and he was working across directly across this Canyon from me. And I worked down into the bottom of the Canyon and it was such a steep cut down on the bottom that it was only 70 yards across. I mean, like (laughs) he was across the Canyon, but it was so steep side to side. It was only 70 yards by the time I got to the bottom with him. All of a sudden he started working his way down, came to my side of the Canyon. When he came up, there was, he was in he was in a trail like a washed out couch beef couch i'm guessing it was but what a i guess his shoulder and head were covered and all i could see was his body and i could see his ass end out the back of it so i knew that i was up in the vitals and i put my pin he stopped right there on his own i let my arrow rip and he only went about 120 yards ran up a tree and died about 120 yards away well that was a middle middle shot he bled like a i'm stuck hog Yeah, yeah um another bear i shot i shot he was facing me sitting on his rump he was sitting on his ass and with looking right at me i hit him in the chest there that was pretty just devastating i don't know if that was middle middle it just hit him right through the chest um i didn't gut him so i don't know what i hit and then another one i hit broadside right behind the shoulder and he went down just i aimed exactly where i would on a deer or elk so all my shots have not been in the same spot they've all kind of varied um I think if if I'm going to sit here and tell you, I'm going to say maybe don't hug tight, tight to that shoulder, but stay right behind the crease just like you would a bull elk or a buck deer yeah. and middle of the body. I mean, as far as top to bottom and let her rip. Yeah. <laughs> like that's, I mean, that's where I'm going to put it. I would encourage. Yeah. I, I mean, you nailed it, man. And, and so I think that the, I guess what I'm trying to, trying to achieve with that discussion because you know how people are they'll they'll get on like social media and just oh yeah argue and i've done it this way i yeah, use this broadhead it, it works way, me. And, yeah. yeah yeah and my way it's my way or the highway because nothing uh-huh. else works <laughs> you uh-huh. know yeah go watch go watch brian barney and dan picard's films mm-hmm. on archery yeah cam exactly. haynes yeah cam cam. Just shot how many bears does he shot with a bow those are guys they know Tons. exactly where to put that arrow yeah yeah and so that but the, the it kind of highlights the point i was making there where you know you shot middle middle um i hit one middle middle 
uh, and it died, uh, I mean, immediately, immediately. Uh-huh. And then we've got, uh, y- you go over to my Instagram and watch that Dan Picard video. He shoots him kind of a uh, little high, if I remember right, right uh, shoulder-ish area. And that sucker was dead within 30 yards. So I think that people need to stop arguing about it. Just relax and, and uh, put a lethal shot on a bear. Do you? Yeah. Do you hunt uh, when you when you are bear hunting? Do you hunt over bait or do you spot and stock or what do you we call them in or? But so I've killed two bears over bait and I've killed one that big bear last year was spot and stock. So Sweet. I've done I've done yeah two different kinds. Um, I never have called. Uh, I've messed with it just a little bit, but no. Um, I've in Wyoming we can bait and where I'm at up here, it's tricky. The bear hunting's tricky. We don't get a lot of that like slope hunting like you see everywhere else, like you guys have, Western Montana has all of that. Mm-hmm. Because with the just the way the mountains around here lay, there's a ton of private land low where the bears are coming out of their dens. It's all private. And so the by the time the hunting seasons and it all runs off of um season closures all run off of a quota on a sow mortality. So a lot of the times the seasons dang near get closed before the bears get into the country. That's a lot of public land. So it's a, it's a tricky one around. Oh, right. Gotcha. Where I'm I from. didn't know that. Yeah. Just by the time the green ups hitting and, and I definitely get into all that country and I hunt it and chase them. And I, I do all, I do everything I can to try to kill bears. I just, and I haven't really taken it serious except for about the last how oh, six, seven years. I've really finally decided to get serious with bear hunting. So, yeah. um, it's a, it's tricky. I killed one of those bears was actually in the fall. It was a fall bear. And so I've only killed two in the spring, but yeah, two over bait, one spot in stock. I love the spot in stock. You know, I have nothing against baiting. Baiting is, it's one of the neatest things to sit there and watch bears be bears. I have, so I've only killed three bears, but I've probably been within archer ranger probably, I would say 35 or 40. I've passed on a ton of bears. I've been very lucky in the bears I've harvested. They've been giants. I've been very lucky to kill all over. I mean, I got two that are seven foot and one's at six foot 11 black bears. So I've killed some big ones. Dang. And, yeah. but I knew that like, I, like I, I hunted them, like they were big ones. And so I've watched a lot of younger, more immature bears, sows, cubs. I've seen if people want to bash on bait hunting, man, they need to just do it. Even if they don't want to kill one over just to watch bears on a bait. It's, it's mm-hmm. neat to watch bears in the wild. Like I'm obsessed it's pretty fun. with it, man. I'm just oh, obsessed. It's I love so it. so much fun. Yeah. I, I've sat I there. I freaking love it. Yes, exactly. You know exactly what I mean. I've sat there mm-hmm. way more nights watching bears, obviously, because I've only killed two over bait and I've sat on baits for probably 40, 50 nights total, you know, and never shot one. So it's, I, uh... it's a, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> It's so funny you say that. I passed I passed on a bunch of bears last year. Well, I wouldn't say a bunch, but there was one in particular that I remember thinking that it was like the first few days that I'd set this bait and and I had this great spot and I'm like, you know, if I kill that thing right now, my spring bear hunt is over. And <laughs> and so I literally I that's why I passed on it and and I shouldn't have because I ended up shooting a much smaller bear, but um, how, you mentioned you had a daughter. How old's your daughter? She's five. Oh, okay. So she's, she's got a while. I've got, uh, this year I'm getting the, my, my, my daughter's out on a bear bait and I'm hoping. Oh, nice. Dude, I am so excited. I, I, I like can't even see. I just bought my, uh, one of my daughters, she's, she's 12. She just turned 12 and she is like, she's not left-handed, but she's a left-handed shooter. And uh-huh. left-eye dominant. And so I just, 
uh, bought her a 6.5 Creedmoor Savage, and uh, nice. it's pretty sweet. So we were, we were out <laughs> sighting it in the other day, and and like I just I can't wait, man. I just can't wait. I'm gonna go set these. I'm gonna set a couple of different bait sites, uh, and and. I, I just my, I don't even care if I shoot one. I'm I'm focused on them getting one, and I, I just can't wait. It's going to be great. So that's awesome. That's exciting. Whole new level. Whole new level. When the kids get big enough and you can start taking them out, it's just like a whole new, like your whole objective and goals change. It's 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 pretty cool. So yeah, I've seen it a little bit. You know, I've taken. She's five, but she's been on. She's killed. I've killed two whitetail with her last year in a blind, and then this year I spot oh, nice. stocked a whitetail buck with her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I've killed two spot and stack antelope. I've had her with me on the stocks and that was wicked hard, but we got it done and my standards changed. Like it was like uh, the, uh, the buck two years, the white tail buck, it was actually a target white tail buck and I rattled him in. So that was cool. Nice. But, um, but I know exactly what you mean is it the, the changes I, she's not hunting yet, but just my outlook, like I wasn't looking for the biggest antelope. I literally was looking for an antelope good buck that was in a stockable position and so we were putting stocks on everything two years ago last year we got lucky in the first one we put a stock on we got an arrow in him but yeah i know exactly what you mean it's yeah. it changes the game completely when you guys so much fun well, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun especially at five because your daughter probably she's super familiar with you know wild game meat she's had venison oh, yeah. you know all that kind of stuff oh yeah and now for the first time she was able to like put it together how that wild game meat went from out in that uh you know field or off that mountain or whatever and ended up in the freezer and and you, you know just to kind of see that process i that's that's about how old my daughters were when i started taking them out on um uh, you know, different hunts, whether we're sitting in a blind or turkey hunt or, yeah. or whatever, uh, mm-hmm. they see that process. And then all of a sudden they get to the, it, it happens quick too, man. Like five years old to 10 years old, it just happens so freaking quick. I am blown away. My youngest daughter now is 12. Uh, it just irritates me. I'm only 42. Um, but anyway, so, <laughs> y- you know, last year I was able to take them out. They got their first bucks. They got their first turkeys last year. And, and they've they've been watching this whole thing come together. And now they're doing it on their own. And I feel like just the, the bear hunt is kind of like the, um, I, I don't know, it's going to set us up for the year kind of thing for, yeah, for bear hunting for sure. season, you know, because I did buy them bows, but we're not, I'm not going to take them bow hunting for bear. Right? We're going to wait for September on that one. Um. But anyway, yeah, no, it's, it's, I'm just really looking forward to it. I'm like overly excited. Yeah, that's awesome. You should be. That's cool. You, you <laughs> keep, you keep saying, uh, the, I, I, it keeps piquing my interest here. Stockable position. Can you define like how a hunter can identify what a stockable animal is versus a non-stockable animal? Make sense? Yeah. Um, I think the biggest thing is, is I think everything's stockable. Like I look at every situation as how am I going to get on that animal with my bow? <laughs> I know that's, that sounds however it does. Um, but I think like I, I get a chuckle every some, so often when someone will be like, Oh, you just can't rifle hunt. You just can't rifle hunt or you just can't bow hunt that country. You just can't bow hunt that country. And there, there's situations where it is flat out. Damn near seems impossible, but I think I'm always Dang, looking man. at that. I said little, that like eight years ago on something. <laughs> <laughs> like, I would want uh, a bow hunt here. <laughs> yeah, and I think there are things. You know, I've watched a couple hunts where I think that the, the bow hunting would be very difficult. Um, there's there's a couple films out. Uh, 
Gritty has posted some films of him and Ryan Lampers, and they're they're hunting some deer, and I think it's Idaho. I don't know where. The, I think it's Idaho. I'm not sure where. It's Big Burn country, and that looks tough. Like you look at some of those situations, and you're like, man, that would be a tough stock to get across that canyon, get up in that down timber, and blow down with those deer and get on them. But you don't know unless you try, kind of thing. Um, and for me that's how it always is I, I i look at last year i shot a late i like late season cow elk hunting with my bow and so they're all herded up it's december there's anywhere from you know 50 of them to 350 and last year i snuck up on a herd of elk there was probably 300 her head in the bunch and i just kept working the edge working and it was a freaking blizzard the wind was blowing about 40 miles an hour and there was just little little bands of timber that i was catching and i'm talking little bands of timber like three trees wide 40 yards long these little runners of timber that were coming off this ridge and they were kind of bedding against them in a way but they were big mature pines i don't know it's hard huh. to explain anyways yeah, yeah so they can see through them it's not like it's a bunch of jack pines that's got that are you know thick it's uh you can see through the branches and i'm trying to crawl in on them and I ended up sticking a cow at 40 yards when you sneak up on 350 head. And I, I don't think a lot of people give a person much credit that they were going to go do that with a bow, but that's just how I do everything or spot and stalking white tailed deer. You always hear guys, I went to Kansas and they had, had tree stands everywhere. The boss I used to work for, they, uh, they, they let us, they got us a lease down in Kansas. And that was kind of our, our guide, thing is that we got to go down to kansas for a couple of years and hunt whitetail i was very lucky to get to go do that well everybody was sitting tree stands and i couldn't sit in a damn tree stand so i found a spot where these whitetail were leaving these creek, creek bottoms and they were kind of going up on these rolling grass ridges not ridges like idaho montana wyoming have that are big cuts you know that yeah. they bed in the cut like they were just rolling grass ridges with yucca plants on them and i was able to sneak out on a whitetail and shoot a whitetail in his bed like I think anything you can make it stockable, you just have to get yourself in a position. Antelope are the best example. You look at an antelope country and they're just flat. Mm-hmm. And I think of Dan Picard, Brian Barney. I've watched, I mean, I'm, I really like watching what these guys do. So I, I can't tell you which video it was, but they get out there and it's like, you don't know what the country holds until you get in it. Go try, at least get the wind right and get out of eyesight at first and then see how you can maneuver on that critter or see where they're going. Where is it? Is, you know, like with my daughter last year, an antelope. I watched that buck antelope sit on this ridge at like 700 yards while my buddy was gutting his antelope because he'd killed them. We're sitting there. All of a sudden, I watched this buck just start beelining it. He was going for water. And the water was about 200 yards to in the opposite direction of us. So I literally just got in between him and the water. And her and I just worked up this little tiny cut, crawling, walking, crawling, walking. And I got to where the this cut flattened out and i just had to wait there and hope that he came close enough and sure enough he walked 60 yards past the end of that cut and i had my little five-year-old four-year-old at the time with me and we got an arrow in him so ah, i think when i say stockable awesome. positions you, you have to put yourself in the position there's a lot of positions you know a lot of stockable positions that are that are gimmies like oh the wind's blowing uphill i'm gonna slide in on the ridge most of the time i like to be just barely above them coming in completely above them i don't like thermals and sometimes go from straight up to straight down so sometimes i kind of like to be on their level just a little bit higher so if a thermal goes up or down it might not go directly at them when i'm seeking on bedded deer or elk mm-hmm. up feeding in like an avalanche shoot or something um but yeah i guess when i say stock position is you got to get yourself out there and try and figure it out because almost 
almost everything. There are guys that are going to get on here and they're going to hate on me because they hunt antelope in the flats of New Mexico and there's nothing out there but yucca bushes. Hats off to you. I 100% get it getting a blind and, or decoy them, something like that. But um, well, I think it's I, important that people listening understand that uh, it, it, no, when somebody has an opinion on, on what they do, does not mean that that's like offensive or attacking the th- the thing or way that you yeah. do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, like it's totally. okay to have these different philosophies and and ideas as to how to pursue this wild game. That's why that's what makes hunting so freaking beautiful, man. Is yeah, is you can be successful in a hunting blind chasing antelope. You can also be successful stocking in, like you're talking about, and and that's going to be. There, there's different challenges with both of them, um, and, and it's it's okay to have these different. That, this is what drives me nuts about hunters, is yeah. we get so set in our ways, and you know, Grandpa taught me this way, and it's the only way to do it, and everybody else is stupid because they don't do it this way, you, you know. Yeah. And it's like, wait a yeah. minute, you, a that's not true, and B, you don't know how much you're limiting your own capabilities by being close to other processes, other strategies, other tips, other other methods, other ideas, ideology, even. Uh, you, you know, just like relax and learn. So this that, that's why I like doing a podcast because every episode I get like an expert level guy like you on, and I'm <laughs> able to pick a little bit of your knowledge in and put it into my own personal toolbox and it's making me a much better hunter than I was you know four years ago before I had a podcast and and so it's it's just I I just I don't I don't mean to lecture I'm just I, I hope people understand that absorbing some of the information from somebody like Sam Davis man I mean come on absorb this stuff <laughs> and it's gonna make you a better hunter it's it's, it's crazy yeah well thanks man i guess yeah i guess that's everything's situational though and Mm -hmm. i do there's i would say for me in the country i hunt and everywhere i've been i've been in new mexico the arizonas um kansas wyoming montana i haven't hunted a lot i haven't hunted all over the world i haven't been to canada haven't done that cool stuff but some of these western states that i have hit there's always been an opportunity to stock a critter or at least like sit around on him and he's going to put himself in a stock location at some point that's just where you have to have the patience and the perseverance to stick it out because something's going to turn up and it's going to happen. Yeah. So that's, that's how I'm always looking at it. And when I say stockable location, it's where can I get within that, that 40 yards, 50 yards, my maximum, you know, maximum efficiency range that I, or the efficiency range that I want to be at to shoot that animal. So when you're, that's how I look at it. When you hunt in September for elk, are you more of a spot and stock or are you calling them in or what's, what's your general, <sighs> Uh, approach <laughs> i would tell you uh i don't know out of i don't know the bulls i've killed probably i would say 70 percent of them i've stocked on okay and 30 percent of them i've called in on called there, them on called them there's a reason i'm asking um i we do on this on this show uh when i say we I, i'm talking about me and my dogs um <laughs> We, I do a show or, or a, a series called School of September. I don't know if you're familiar yep. with it. I've, yep, I've listened to it. Yep. So almost everybody I get because I'm I'm a big time caller. I like I like to interact vocally with animals, and I don't care if they're coyotes. I don't care if they're elk. Hell, I I get super excited about turkey hunting just because they talk to me, you know. Yeah. And and so I, obviously I like talking and communicating. That's why I have a podcast, right? And so. Mm-hmm. What I feel like I'm leaving out with School of September is an expert on stocking. 
uh, spot and stock elk, September archery elk hunting. Would uh-huh. would you be open to coming back on the show for a school of September to talk about that method? Yeah, I don't know if I'm a, an expert, as you'd say, but yeah, I've stocked up on a lot of bulls. Well, um, I've uh, okay. killed a lot of bulls by sneaking up on them. If you've killed a lot of bulls by sneaking up on them, you've uh-huh. killed many more bulls than I have by sneaking up on them. Okay, so, <laughs> and and I know that there's a lot of people in, in and I don't remember who I was talking about. I think, I don't mean to bring him up again. I think it was Roger Holscher, somebody I was talking to where we we were discussing the the fact that sometimes you're hunting country that doesn't really bode well for calling and uh-huh. and sometimes you're hunting country that doesn't bode well you were just talking about that may not bode as well for spot and stock it's all stockable right and it's all callable yep. but there's a lot of hunters that um maybe get tired of hearing about how we're going to call in an elk every time yeah. And, and, and I think I, I focused mainly on that because I get so excited about that and I love calling an elk and I, I, that's, that's my thing. And I'm, I'm even, I'll even, uh, uh, go a step further and suggest that I'm really good at calling an elk. I'm just not good at killing them. Um, cause I, I, I you know, that hamster doesn't spin my will very fast and I freak out and I hit branches and stuff, you know? So, um, I would love to have that discussion for a school of September and, and uh, have somebody that they can talk and speak intelligently about this whole spot and stock, uh, archery elk hunt. Yeah, I'd absolutely do. I, I really like stocking, especially when we're talking herd bulls or like the next level bulls. Oh, is, I really like, I really so, like sneaking up on them. I'm so excited. I'm like about to start recording it right now, but I, I, I won't, I won't make, uh, yeah, no, that's, that'd be great, man. I, I, uh, and you notice how I made sure that I got your commitment while we were recording. So you can't yeah. like, be like, no, Jim, you, you're an idiot. I'm not coming back on your show, but I could play you back this recording be like, man, here, like this is a verbal contract. Yes, I got you. I'll do it. I definitely, <laughs> talk. I'll, I'll talk some outcome for sure. I love it. Sweet. Yeah. Uh, before we wrap this episode up, I always like to get everybody's take as to, um, obviously, when, like, you and I have some commonalities in a sense that we we grew up hunting. We, we grew up uh, as hunters, and it's been a part of our life since before we can remember. Is that fair to say? Oh, yeah. And I would it also be fair to say that as as we look at this lifestyle and look to the future of hunting, there are definitely some things that are, you know, bring us concern as to what hunting is going to look like five to ten to fifteen to twenty years from now. Mm-hmm. I like to get every everybody's take on, and I'm trying to ask this differently. Um, I've been thinking really hard about how to ask this, and I, I still don't have the right like recipe as to how to ask this, but. I, I want to get your general consensus as to the state of the union, if you will, in terms mm-hmm. of the hunting community, uh, hunting in general, the future of hunting. Where where are we at in your mind? Oh, that's a good one. I just had a conversation. I mean, my best friend, my work partner, we uh, we talk about this stuff all the time. He's a very he's a thinker before he talks, and I'm a talker before I think kind of guy. Yeah, me too. So I'll. I'll try to say this uh, kindly. Um, I, I don't know. It's, it's up in the air for me is where I think you asked where we're going to be, where we're going to be five years from now, 10 years from now, where, what the state of it is now. The state of it is now, it's, it's definitely different than it was as I grew up as a kid. Um, 
there's a lot of popularity behind hunting right now. And it has, I think the social medias feed into it. And I'm 100% guilty of that. I, I like to, I was lucky enough, dad being a guide, I took a lot of pictures as a kid, way before Facebook, Instagram, even digital cameras. Um, on 35 millimeter rolls, I took tons and tons of pictures as a kid. And my dad always said, no tongue hanging out, make the animal look classy, respect the animal that they take when we take these pictures. So I grew up with really high quality photos of all the kills. I always carried a camera with me with a zoom lens on a Canon. And yeah, how about, uh, how about the yeah. old disposable cameras, man? Oh those? yeah. Zip, 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 click. And you'd get 32 <laughs> of them and you'd take it into, take it into Walmart and you, hope betcha. That you got at least one good one. You betcha. Um, you know, I, I did all that. And that being said, it's, that's why I got started Instagram. My wife opened my Instagram account for me when we were in an airport in Seattle, Washington, after coming back from a football game one day. And she's like, you need to put some of your pictures. I had some of my buddies like, man, you need to put some of your pictures up there. You got some neat old pictures from hunting and this. And so I have fed into the whole hunting and Instagram thing. I'm not even going to sit here and lie, but I, in a way it's good because it brings awareness to hunting. So we get all these season closures in California where they're closing this and Idaho, Washington, or excuse me, Oregon, Washington, where they're trying to close spring bears and fall bears. And I can't keep up with all the stuff that's going on. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really good that we have an awareness. It's popular. There's some big guys standing behind it. You got Joe Rogan. You got some big name guys, Donald Trump Jr. You got some pretty heavy hitters getting behind advocacy for hunting. I think that's great. Yeah. And it's helping our numbers, which I think is great. On the other side of the token, I don't know if all of it is awesome for the future of hunting. Where are we going to be at in five years? I don't know. I really... I have a hard time trying to it five years flies by now that I'm a dad. I realize like, it just seems like five years was yesterday. So I'm going to go out to 10 years, 10 years from now. Uh, I think the popularity might wear off a little bit. I think the Insta famous, the Insta fun, the, I hate to put it like that, but it's true. Um, yeah, I think no, that, I, that, I that, that fad will kind of phase out because everything goes through phases. And I think it's something that will kind of phase out. And maybe it'll kind of get back to where it was and being back to where it was is the the camaraderie with hunting and the it's always been shared. Hunting has always been shared. If you are new to hunting and you're listening to this podcast, you're new to hunting. If you ever walked into a sporting goods store in the 90s, in the 80s, in the early 2000s, before there was Instagram and Facebook, there was always a cork board back by the rifles, cork board back by the bows. It always had all the local guys would bring their pictures in from their critters they shot that year. And they would take a tack and they would put it on the wall. So it's it's always hunting has always been shared like that. It's always been around the morning cup of coffee, like guys at work telling their hunting stories, bringing in 35 millimeter pictures, showing it. So it's not like Instagram and Facebook are new as far as when it comes to showing off pictures. And it's not like you're showing off to be rude. It's like, you're proud of all that time that you're, you've put in for, you drew the tag, you scouted the area, you shot your weapon, you went camping, you took the family up there scouting. And then you finally got to bring home a freezer full of meat. And then a cool set of antlers. Like that's what hunting that pastime has been about. And now it's just showed over Instagram or it's shown over Facebook. It's, it's not on the wall in the local sporting goods store or the back of the grocery store that has a little sporting goods section. Like it's not there anymore, but mm-hmm. that's kind of what it has evolved from. And there's a part of me that's like, it'll kind of go back to that. Not that there's going to be pictures back in our local sporting goods stores, but 
Do you get what I'm saying? I don't no, know. No, absolutely. I think I, I, I hope I think, I'm kind of resonating my thoughts. It's no, hard man, for me to wrap my head it's, around. You nailed a lot of great points there, and and like even even if you if you like you were talking about the 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 cork boards at the sporting goods stores, you know that that was the thing back in the 80s and 90s, and and you know um, we even like when I was a kid, all the hunters would meet at this gas station in town. And when they got a, when they got a book, you know, yeah. yeah, yeah, and they'd, everybody'd the meet there, and the you know, quick sack is what it was called, the quick sack, and yeah, it was we, it had mounted heads in it, and everybody put their pictures in. It was just a gas yeah, station. That's yeah. where you had to buy your worms and your bait to go fishing. Exactly. So that's where everybody and your hunter orange was in there, and you could buy a few kinds of books in there. Yep, you can get your tags. Up. You can get your tags. Yeah, there. you can get your. Yeah, you, yeah, know? you had to get a paper tag. You had to go in there, and exactly. The, the clerk had to actually write the tag up for you. She had to sign it. You had to sign it. It was paper. It wasn't like internet anything so yeah no yes, totally and totally. then you then you date that even further back where when you look at these drawings uh on the on the cliffs from native americans you know they weren't they weren't drawing pictures of them singing around a campfire or or <laughs> you know whatever it was hunting stuff and that's, yeah. that's sharing the human experiment and and so it's this is just something that passes down i think that what happens on a negative level on social media is that sharing and that storytelling can can it has a tendency to become like sensationalized and and it's it's there's there's ulterior motives to outside of just sharing like i i i'm totally guilty man i love sharing that when i when i get something down i, I love sharing that i love the I love to show and express myself from a sense that I sacrificed a lot and worked my ass off to get to this point, and here we go. Here it is. Here's yeah. the here's the end yeah. result. Uh, I like the glory factor that comes out of that, and and I think that anybody that says they don't is full of shit. And so right. it's it's okay to have that because that's just human nature. Everybody wants a little bit of glory. I don't care if you're a computer programmer that figured out what the virus was that was attacking your computer systems or whatever uh, within a corporation. You love the glory that comes out of solving that problem. And it's the same kind of thing, and it's the same kind of mentality. But it can become very sensationalized, and that's where, when it's sensationalized, that's where it becomes detrimental. And there's a lot of ego involved in hunting, just yes. like there is with everything else. I always look at things like, if it, it, I, I'm, I, I've always been a person that likes to take a step back, and when I develop an opinion on something, I really want to analyze, is is it my ego that is driving my opinion on this? Is it my... Uh, you know, some kind of confirmation bias. What what is driving my opinion on that? And so, and I think that that is what's so detrimental to humans in general is is the ego factor. You know, like 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 you can mm -hmm. you can yep, have totally people on one side that are like climate change doesn't exist in any shape or form, and that ego, the the fact that they're going to defend that could be their downfall. And then you have people on the other side that are like, oh my God, your SUV is destroying the planet without looking at any context or real data that ego and just just sticking to that opinion might be your own very your very own downfall and so having mm -hmm. having a little bit of open mindedness about it i think is is what we lack as humans and and we lack that because of ego and so it's it's ego that drives the sensationalism of hunting and and i appreciate the fact that what you were talking about there uh, from from the standpoint of you know you do clean up your pictures to 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 post them so that you know some lady or some guy that is hypersensitive to seeing dead animals uh, isn't totally 
you know, white in the face after seeing it and just disgusted by the whole concept of hunting, because I think that that's, that's really what, what, uh, what we're up against. Um, you're totally right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you're totally right. I think that's for me and the whole, and I'll get kicked back cause I have commented a long time ago. I've, I, I don't comment anymore. I just, I'm done with it. I, maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't, but I've seen a picture that's just, just bloody everywhere and just, just, just rough looking picture and it's like i think you should comment I, on it yeah Personal. and it's like i'm i'm proud and i'm proud for those the guys or gal or whatever that, that takes it like but just there's a part of us we always got to remember that it isn't hunters like i understand there's blood with i've seen a ton of a ton of dead stuff i'm and i'm talking crazy numbers but yeah I, I understand the blood and the stuff that comes up but we don't have to show everything and i know it's a reality when i'm not saying we're trying to keep stuff pg and we're trying to no 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 you, it is how it is. And I'll tell people how it is. But the thing is I'm getting as when all they look at is a picture, it's a swipe. It is a swipe past and it might show up on some search. It might show up on something. You want that representation of the sport or the, the sport, the, I don't want to call it a sport, the whatever we love to do so much, the pastime that we love to do so much mm-hmm. that you don't want that to be the image that they can stick with it. Every time they see a bow, they're like, Oh, I saw a bow, but it had, you know, it was, there was an arrow still sticking out of this or that. I don't, I don't want that. I would just wish that everybody would think with a clear head, like, all right, Hey, we are as hunters aren't the only ones looking at this picture. Like this picture is getting posted on the internet. And when it's posted on Instagram, it's there for the world to see it. I don't care Mm -hmm. what people think, how private their account is. If anybody ever wants to deep dive and those computer guys are a lot, a lot smarter than I am and hacking into people's information. So I love what what, you said there. Like, yeah, I I love what you said about how it's, it's like a quick swipe uh, because that is, that that is exactly the when you the, again we're talking about human nature. People are not going to go. We, humans just have this natural reaction to things, and it's either a positive or a negative reaction, or it's yep. you know maybe it's a moot point to them, whatever. And it's that fast. It's that fast. It's that fast. It. It's it's mm-hmm. just like if you're scrolling through Instagram or you're scrolling through Facebook or even Twitter or whatever, and all of a sudden somebody who doesn't hunt who's never been exposed to it nobody's they've never even heard a gunshot in their life maybe they've never fired a bow they've never heard a coyote in the wild they've never heard a bull elk scream and they've never killed anything besides a maybe a you know a cockroach or something when Mm -hmm. they swipe past something that looks like a total bloodbath um and i really like my buddy uh, guy duplanche from western contours has a really good take on this stuff but uh, when they swipe past something that looks like an absolute bloodbath and there's like no real context that individual that's a non-hunter isn't going to go digging for further context they're not they're not going to be like man that picture really turned me off and i think that hunters my 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 initial reaction of hunters is negative now but i'm not going to go like google it or or look further for context or ask them a question through a dm uh, they're they're not going to go sliding into anybody's DMs, being like, you know, can you tell me the story about how this happened? You know, how this hunt went down? No, they're just going to keep scrolling with that negative connotation in their mind as to what they just saw. That that negative reaction is going to be what sticks in their mind. So a week later, let's say they're at the, uh, at the 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 gas station and they meet somebody that in passing mentions, yeah, I'm just on my way up uh, to go hunting. Uh, their their connection to that is going to be that image that they saw that they were exposed to, 
and they're going to think negatively of the individual that just said they're on their way hunting. That's, yeah. I think, the basis and the foundational reasons why I, I just I get so concerned, man. I, I just get so concerned. And I love posting grip and grins. I'm, I'm going to keep doing it, but I'm going to get better at because I've been guilty of, of posting things that um, I, I, I was not being sensitive to the non-hunting public. And I'm just not a sensitive dude anyway. I mean, fuck, if you've listened yeah. to this show, you know there's yeah. nothing sensitive about me, but... Uh, I I think we all need to just have be have some uh, I don't know be a little bit more cognizant about that. Yeah, you're totally right, and that's that's it. It's it's not it's not the hunters that we're worried about. It's the mm-hmm. it's the non-hunters, the people that have a voice, that have money, that are you know having people sit down at the state capitol and and fight against us. Yeah, so exactly, exactly. That's that's what I always try to think about. So I guess yeah, if I was hopefully. Hopefully, in a ten-year outlook from now, is that hunting is more realized as a pastime, a good way to to get some good good food. Um, it's not all about the antlers. I'll tell you what, cow elk eat just as good as big bull elk or better. Yeah, and doe white tail eat, better. <laughs> yeah, I was saying doe white tail eat great too. So there's a lot of stuff out there when it comes to hunting that's more than just the grip and grins i'm always gonna have a grip and grin though because i'm damn proud of whatever i've done and what i've accomplished and i've got a yep. house full of horns and hides so and you should be um, every one of them is a story behind it and i can sit i can tell you the yard my, it was funny i was visiting with my mom and my wife and i were up there the other night at my mom's house she cooked dinner and we were talking about stuff and i have a horrible uh long-term memory like my memory is it's sad but you walk down and like when it comes to like wedding songs and stuff like that, like I feel like I'm a horrible husband because I don't remember all the little details. <laughs> you're not, man. You're just a normal dude, man. Man. <laughs> but you talk about, if you walk down to my trophy room and you look at every animal, I can tell you which direction they were facing and how many yards every single animal in my house or every single picture you pull up. I can tell you which direction was a left side shot, right side shot, whatever. And how many yards it was like, I can almost tell you the date, especially of the elk that I shot. So, yeah, it's a uh, it's wild. That's the importance to me, though. And like those animals in my house, that's what they represent is something that I can tell a story about. I can sit down and tell my daughter about that animal or that critter. My wife, she can do some. My wife's got some really good bulls with her bow and they hang in our living room. And it's it's neat for our little girl to look up there and see those and ask about those hunts and to pull pictures up. And we have a couple of videos. We videoed a couple of them. So we have the videos of those kills. And yeah, how cool. So, yeah, it's, it's, cool, it's a lot. Man it's a lot more than just killing an animal to post a picture on Instagram. I'm going to do it. I'm going to keep hunting, whether there's Instagram out there, Facebook, anything out there. I did it before. I'll do it forever. It's it's what we do as a family. Yeah. Well, I think, I think when you're looking at it from the standpoint of, you know, cause this discuss, and I, I, I've, I've talked about this a lot where it's like, well, there's hunters that just, they, they're hunting just to post a picture on Instagram. I don't know that that's true. I think that there is possibly some motivation to hunting for that reason. But I think that the majority, like the vast, vast majority of hunters, posting it to Instagram is kind of like the actual kill itself. Like the kill, the, the moment the arrow hits the target or or the moment the bullet impacts the elk or the deer or whatever Mm -hmm. that's a very 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 small part of the entire experience 
the entire experience cannot be even replicated for, in a in an Instagram post or or a video even because the entire experience is so when you take the 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 overall the holistic thing that hunting is when you when you hit and kill that animal that's a small part of it and when you post it on Instagram that's a small part of it too that's just showing the end result it's not showing you the whole thing and and i think that that's what a lot of people misinterpret sometimes and so anyways i'm keeping you along man no you're good good. (laughs) well uh (laughs) yeah i i just i don't know i can i can go off on a a a whole other rabbit hole with that but it's just um i don't know there's so much to talk about with that on that topic and and so much to delve into when we're talking about the future of hunting and, and, and everything else. So I do, I will just to, to cap that off. I will say, I think there is, there is some good light that's being shed through some of the voices that have gotten that do hunt now, like with Joe Rogan's and stuff like that. And yeah, it's I neat. Agree. It's neat because I think it's, it's reached, a, it's reached some people that would have always maybe had a negative um, look on hunting and I guarantee you he's changed a lot of people's opinions. They might not love it, but they might not be anti, I guess would exactly. be, I would, exactly. I would say that's probably a step that we've taken. They, they've maybe gone from this person that experienced hunting negatively from some social media post 10 years ago to somebody who listened to a Joe Rogan episode this week. Uh, I don't remember who that guy, who was that guy that he had on? I'm totally drawing a blank this week. I, I, maybe you have, uh, I don't know. Did it. he have the Derek Wolf, the football player on there? No, that was, that was a week or two ago. Um, okay. it was, I haven't listened to Rogan in a couple of weeks, so he's a guy that, uh, he's, he goes on Jay Scott's podcast all the time. And, and is uh, anyway, I can't remember his name. The, the point is that that dude, when you hear him talk, he's so likable that I don't know how you can not come away with a positive perspective on hunting after listening to that episode. Uh, Cause the guy he had on was, it was just, it's going to drive me crazy, man. I feel like I'm going to check it out. I'm not going to do it justice. If I just leave it hanging like that, that's so messed up. <laughs> if I do that, hang on. Um, Get Jamie on it. Young Jamie, look it up. <laughs> I need one of those guys, man. Uh, Cliff Gray. His name is Cliff, Cliff Gray. Gray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'll have to check it out. Yeah, he's he's a he's a guy like you are, but down in Colorado, and he's uh, j- just a super likable guy, just like you. I mean, most guides are are just like that. So, um, before we wrap this up, I got one more really important question for you. All right, let's see. What hear it. What is one thing that hunting clients do that just irritates you and other guides? What is one thing? That it's a, it's a public service, do? Sam. This is this. So people hiring guides this year, they're going to avoid doing this. Okay. Oh, uh, what is one thing? What is one thing? Um, I got a list of things. No, just <laughs> is that a whole, is that a whole no. podcast in itself? I think uh, <laughs> usually, you know what the biggest red flag is that I always see when a guy gets in and tells me the first time I meet him, the first drive out, and we leave wherever we're headed. And he tells me how good of a shot he is and how much he's killed. Usually that's the good sign that he's going to miss the first critter you get him on. Like that's usually, it seems, I know that sounds, Ah, doesn't sound right, but usually you get a guy in there that's uh, very proud of what he's done or how good he has shot. That's usually a guy that he'll pull up, you'll get a, 
I'm not going to say a hundred yard shot, but she'll have a 300 yard shot. I don't let my guys usually shoot over 300, 350 maybe. Mm-hmm. And uh, you'll get in there 300 yard opportunity. All of a sudden you can tell he's huffing and puffing really hard. Say you haven't hiked that much. Like you've been laying down, you're on a bag, everything's solid. You got him on your backpack. I've put the shell in for him because he's fumbled around with his gun. I've jacked the shell in for him. I've got the scope dialed. I tell him, hey, just relax. And he's still huffing and puffing. And this is the guy that four hours earlier had just told you how good of a shot he is and how much he's killed. That's usually my sign of like, this is going to be a good one. If a guy gets uh-huh, in, he's okay. going to dose just off the first. That's, I guess that's not really answering your question on the no, biggest it, thing that a hunter can do, but that's one of them. It, it's, that or just when they get out to get a damn, like I do a lot of truck guiding for a deer and antelope and they get out and get a gate and their boots are just covered in mud. <laughs> Not the common courtesy. To like, you know, when you hop in your seat, you sit kind of perpendicular to your truck and you at least yeah, bang your heels off. together kick to like neck them up. Now that was bailing your pickup and away oh, you go. <laughs> you're kidding me. That really, they, they don't, they don't knock their mud off. Especially that no. Wyoming mud, dude. You guys get that clay. That's, that's I know that sounds dumb, but you asked me what is it? And I don't know between other guides, but. I like to try and keep my pickup somewhat clean, but you that's should, that's always the one that I'm just like, Jesus, my dad would have slapped me in the head if I wouldn't have banged the boots off. You should have, you should have, uh, <laughs> you, you need to get, I'm going to send you, I'm going to send you one of those signs. My wife wants this sign and, and it, it, you put it on your dashboard and it says, unless you're God or George Strait, take your boots off. <laughs> <laughs> right there you go i like there it you go. oh that reminds me we didn't even talk about the ranching stuff man yeah ah, yeah shit. I, I know well yeah, well we're gonna have to circle back and do this again brother sounds good man anytime i, I enjoyed it i i really enjoyed the conversation uh i i i think um the hunting community just in general needs more like vocal representatives of that are people are I guess are people like you. Uh, you're a leader in in the hunting community, and and you've got a lot of experience, and and you you portray yourself so well. You speak from a way that just um, is is ethical. Is is uh, the kind of hunter that makes other hunters want to live up to your standard that you set and you don't even mean to set it but you do and that's that's what we need more of and so that's why i appreciate you coming on your show and sharing uh you know just your life and and what your what your experiences have been and some of the the tips and strategies that you that you've got is is it's just this is just solid gold stuff and so i i really hope that uh you're up for coming back on for a school of september i'd love to have you back on the show well, thank you for all the kind words, and yeah, for sure, I would. Uh, I love to hunt, man. Like when you when we texted a week ago or so, it's when you asked what to talk about. I just I I love hunting and everything to do with it, and yeah, I I, I love it. So yeah. I would do another show with you, and thank thank you for all the kind words. I I don't look at myself like that. I just I love to do it, and that's God, all I great. know. So yeah, yeah, that's, that's fantastic. Well. Uh, Stick on the line for just a minute, but before we before we jump off, uh, do you want to point anybody to, you know, a social media, a YouTube, a uh, your <sighs> outfitting service, anything like that? Um, I guess I'm on Instagram. Uh, it's s davis two five zero six. Excuse me, two five zero six. Um, I have my own YouTube channel. It's nothing that great. Uh, it's Predators Never Quit YouTube. But Ooh, I like the name. <clears throat> I'm sorry, I got a frog in my throat all of a sudden, but. Um, I did, I've done some hunts with stone glacier, stone glacier backpack company. I don't know if you're familiar mm-hmm. with them, but oh, yeah. 
I've done a mule deer hunt and then I got a bison hunt. I drew a once in a lifetime Wyoming bison ta- uh, tag this year. And they filmed that. Zach Bowden filmed that from Stone Glacier. And we had a great hunt. Used my horses, went in the back country with that one. It was a lot of fun. So oh, man. And that's pretty I, cool. I would love that's to... a cool hunt that's coming out this so spring. It'll cool. be coming out next month. Oh, it is? Yeah. Dude. Yeah, that when... hunt will be released next month on Stone Glacier's. Uh, it's, on, it's on Stone Glacier's YouTube channel. Well, let me know when that's live, man. I'll share it on my uh, on, on all my social stuff, and yeah, because that that's true. cool. I love the 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 entire concept of bison hunting. So, um, yeah, I I can't wait for that one. That's going to be really cool. So, okay, I'm going to put your put your YouTube and your Instagram in the show notes for everybody listening. Um, I think that uh, Scott Reekers was right when he said that he thinks I should get you on the show. Uh, so yeah, thanks, Scott, thanks to Scott. <laughs> yeah. If you're listening, little lady, I really appreciate it. I'm kidding about that, Scott. Don't get Ben out of shit. Now he's going to send me a nasty text message. I appreciate it, Sam. Thanks a bunch for joining me, and let's uh, for sure do this again. Sounds good. Thanks again for having me on. You made it. That's the end of the episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please make sure you're following us on Instagram at the Western Huntsman and write us a good review at Apple Podcasts. Thanks, guys. See you next time. Stay Western, and I'll see you on the mountain.